Okay, for those of you who were at Messy Christmas yesterday, one of the things that was a big hit with my two boys was when we did the story bag craft, which was telling the, um, the Christmas story about the birth of Christ. There was a piece of craft for each part of the story, and one of them was um, a little torch light that you could put on your finger, a finger light, um, and you could put it on your finger, and you could turn it on, and you could wave it around. And these, my boys thought these were fantastic. So when we got home, they managed to raid the spares pile um, of these lights so they could put a light on each finger. So they had lights on each finger. And then when we got to bedtime, we went upstairs into their bedroom, and we all put finger lights on, turned all the lights out, pumped up the tunes, which at their request was, was Christmas songs. So we had to have Christmas songs. I think we began with Mar- Mariah Carey, and it went downhill from there. But... We were dancing in their bedroom with these finger lights on, and you can make all these fantastic shapes with them. And when you can't see anything but people's fingers doing this with these lights on, it was great fun. So we had a bit of a, a, bit of a disco in their bedroom before they went to bed. And one of the fascinating things about it was that no matter how dark it was in their room, we had these tiny little lights with tiny little bulbs and little batteries, but they, they cut through the darkness didn't matter how dark it was, you could see the lights wherever they went. You could see their fingers moving wherever they went, where they ran around, jumped off things. You could follow them because the light cut through the darkness. And what we're going to look at today is the beginning of our Christmas series that we've entitled Let There Be Light. And we've got this week, I'm doing next week, um, Ryan is doing, and then the following week, Melanie will be doing, which will be our Christmas carol service. And if you find one of these on your... Um, uh, chair, this is an invite to the carol service. The details are on that. Please feel free to invite friends, neighbours. It's still socially acceptable in this day and age in this country to invite people to a carol service. This is what we'll be putting on. We'll have lots of Christmas carols. We'll have some Christingles for the kids. Men will be doing a talk that'll be kind of accessible to everyone. Please note the time. It's in the afternoon rather than the morning, so we won't be meeting in the morning. But we'll have an evening, sorry, um, afternoon evening carol service that you're all invited to. And so the, 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 the Let There Be Light series has got three parts. We're going to look this week at the angels, next week at the star, and finally in the last week of the carol service, we'll look at the light, Jesus Himself. So if you've got your Bible, can you go to Luke chapter two? We're going to start at verse 8, and we'll go through the passage bit by bit. So I've got the first one, should be up here on the screen behind me. If you don't have your Bible, I will read it to you. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. All right, let's have a little bit of background to what's happening here. The Christmas story. Mary has become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She has had to go with her husband Joseph to Bethlehem because of the census. So they have traveled there. That would have been a long journey on a donkey. Not particularly pleasant for a heavily pregnant woman. Uh, We've got some pregnant ladies here in the church. Getting to the car to their chair can be hard work let alone traveling on an animal many miles. But they make it to Bethlehem. Well done. But there's no room. We know the story. There's no room at the inn. There's nowhere to stay. So they find themselves in the stable. Mary has the baby Jesus. He is laid in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And that's kind of the end of that bit. Meanwhile, outside the town of Bethlehem, there are shepherds. 
And shepherds are doing what shepherds do. They are watching their flocks by night. That's a good intro to a hymn, isn't it? And so they would have been there out in the fields. The sheep would have probably been in a pen, a stone pen of some sort. And they would have been at the entrance of the pen. The shepherds would have been there. They would have probably had a fire to ward off any kind of predators. Animals were there to keep them warm. They would probably be just sitting around, chewing the fat, trying to keep warm. Maybe thinking about sleep, having different watches. Will you sleep and I'll sleep in a bit kind of thing. And they were just minding their own business. It would have been dark. It would have been cold. There may have been stars in the sky, depending on the cloud and stuff. And if you've ever been out at night and that kind of thing, it can be fairly still. And it's just, you're there and it's very quiet. And then what happens? (laughs) It says, suddenly an angel appears and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So basically, night became day in a moment. So they're sitting around their fire, chatting about whatever's going on. How much they dislike the Romans occupying their land, or are there any? Do you hear any animals around, or how are the sheep doing? Whatever they talk about, shepherds, and suddenly into this bursts an angel, an angel of the Lord, and the glory of God shone around. And so this would have been a dramatic change for them. They'd be sitting there chatting, and suddenly, boom, the lights go on. A figure appears before them. We don't know if he appeared like standing or maybe a floating. But there was light. It could not be missed. It would have banished the darkness there. And every single eye would have turned to look at this angel. And it says they were filled with fear. Which I always feel is a mild understatement. The Bible is very good sometimes. It is understatement. If you were just sitting there, they would have known of angels Because of the Old Testament scriptures would have told them of angels. I doubt they'd have expected to meet an angel or ever see one. But there was one right in front of them. Shining with the presence of God and the glory of God. And they would have been terrified at that. This was the last thing I'd expect as they'd gone out on the hillside that evening to watch the sheep. And so it's the first thing I want to look at today. And that is that angels are sent from God's presence. Angels are sent from God's presence. So a little bit of background on angels. Now, angels appear throughout the Bible. The Bible is not shy at talking about these creatures over 250 times. They are mentioned in some form or another. And we can learn lots about them. It says, the first thing is they are created beings. They have been created by God. It says in one, uh, Colossians 1, 16, it says, For all things were created in heaven and on earth. That covers everything, visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him. So angels are created beings, like us, like everything. God created them. It says, though, they were also present at creation in Job 38. It talks about, it uses the phrase sons of God to describe them. But it says they were there at creation and they shouted for joy when it happened. So they've been around a long time. They're also, we find that they are spiritual beings. The Psalms describe them as messengers like winds and flaming fire. There's something, a dimension about them that is spiritual, primarily rather than physical, like we, we are. Despite this incredibleness about them, they are most definitely not to be worshipped. 
despite how awe-inspiring they may be, because we find in Revelation, the Apostle John had a series of visions. He met an angel. An angel came to speak to him, and it says, John says in Revelation 19, I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you, and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus, Jesus worship God. You don't worship angels, despite how awe-inspiring they are. They are not to be objects of worship. It actually says in 1 Peter 3 that they are also servants of Jesus like us in the church. That actually that's what they are there to do. They serve Jesus. It even says in Matthew 4 when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the angels came to minister to Jesus. So they're servants who came to minister him, to stand alongside him. We also find in Hebrews, an interesting statement, uh, Hebrews 1, where it says that actually these, these angels actually minister to us who believe. Those will inherit salvation. So actually, the same way they minister to Jesus, they also minister to believers. It doesn't, doesn't specify exactly how, and we can only speculate, but there is that role that they do. It also says in Hebrews 12 that there are lots of them, angels. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering. So there are a lot for them to say innumerable there. We also find out that they are created to worship also in Hebrews. That that's, your, that's what they were. They were created to worship God, ultimately give him um, glory and honor. We find sometimes they have got different names. We've seen the sons of God one, but also they're also referred to as cherubim and seraphim. The cherubim or cherubim uh, we find right at the beginning in um, Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden for their sin. That actually the cherubim was the one with the flaming sword. They're often depicted as chubby babies, aren't they? With really tiny wings on clouds. Genesis, biblically, they have flaming swords. So they are a lot more hardcore than we necessarily think. And they were there to guard the way. So there was a, they almost bring an element of judgment there. Adam needed to sin, remove the garden. The cherubim were there to say, you can't come back in because you've sinned. You're not allowed in God's presence. We later find in the tabernacle and the temple on the, the curtains that separate the holy places from outside, the cherubim were actually embroidered into there as another representation of that actually you can't come in, that judgment. We also find in the Ark of the Covenant on the top there was the mercy seat where the blood was put on the Day of Atonement and over the top of that was carved two angels in gold, the cherubim, whose wings touched each other. Again, there, the point of judgment. We also find they refer to a seraphim, one place in Isaiah 6 where it talks about, um, uh, Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord high and lifted up, and there were angels there, seraphim, and they were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We also know from the scriptures, some of them actually have personal names. There's one called Michael. He is referred to as the archangel, chief angel. Um, uh, We find that in Jude. But we also find the other one, the most common known one, is, of course, Gabriel who appears in the Christmas story numerous times. So there's a debate over whether one of them is called Lucifer in um, Isaiah 14, uh, whether it's more son of the morning or is it Lucifer, if that's a reference to Satan, but lots of people can speculate about that, but there's a possibility. But we definitely know Michael and Gabriel are named there. They also find out that they rejoice over the repentance of sinners. When you became a Christian, there were angels in heaven rejoicing which is wonderful news. So these incredible creatures who dwell in God's presence, hence the fear. When you think about that, this right that the shepherds were terrified, not just because there's a bright light, 
but actually they brought the presence of God with them. And we know that the presence of God can be terrifying. Throughout the Old Testament, that's what it was. It was terrifying. When God turned up in fire and smoke and thunder and lightning, it was frankly scary. And those who didn't take the presence of God seriously and didn't take their sins seriously reaped the consequences of their actions. And it usually resulted in terrible judgment. And so now, in this backwater town, or actually not even in the backwater town, You've got a backwater nation and a backwater town on the hills outside the town, so as far removed as you can, an angel turns up. And the presence of God is there on that hillside. And what the presence of the angel tells us, something big is about to go down. Something big is going to happen because angels don't just turn up for any old thing. They come from God's presence. And so let's look at the next part of the passage. It says this, And the angel said to them, Fear not, the irony of that statement, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. Now, I... I genuinely don't know how much the shepherds would have taken in of that. If you were sitting outside on the hillside and the angel turned up and the glory of the Lord shone around, I don't know if I'd be listening to a word he said or cowering just in fear. But we see through the story they clearly did take on board something to transmit the message. So the angel now gives the reason for his visitation. I didn't just turn up to freak you out one night. Do you imagine angels just doing that, turning up, scaring you and then disappearing? That wouldn't be very fun. But he said, there's a reason I'm here. To, and I, it wasn't to freak you out, so calm down, fear not. Do you remember um, Dad's army? Don't panic. That's what he's saying. Don't panic. Don't worry. It's not going to be that bad. And it says, I bring you. What's he bring you? He says, number one, he says, good news. That would have been very reassuring for the shepherds. That probably means we're not going to die, would have probably been their, their train of thought there. If he's bringing good news, says, fear not, it's good news. You're like, thank goodness. We're not about to get judged and killed for all our sin. So it's going to be good news of great joy. Okay, this is going to produce positive emotions in us rather than the fear that we've been feeling. There is something exciting happening, something joyful here. And this is a message for all people. Which for the shepherds, shepherds would not have been high-class society. They'd have been very low-class society Manual workers, working class, of the poorer element of society, on the lower of the social structure and strata, that's where they would have been. But the angel comes and says, I've got a message that's good, it's going to bring you joy, and it's for all people. So it's not just for you, but I'm coming to bring it to you, so be sure, but it's actually for everyone. There is a universal message. And so what is this message? He goes on to elaborate on that, And he says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. He doesn't say the name of the town, which would have been the obvious way to say it. It's Bethlehem. It's there. Look, in that town. No, he describes it as the city of David. Well, who's David? David was Israel's greatest king. Outside Jesus, he's mentioned more times in the Bible than anybody else. He is the one that they aspire to. He's the one who holds the prophetic promises That one day someone would come who would sit on David's throne who would be greater than David. And he would be the greatest king Israel had ever known. 
And so he's saying, actually, and that town was Bethlehem because that's where David came from. He came from Bethlehem. So he says, in David's city. So it's like, this is a king piece of news. This is the news about a king. If you start mentioning David and David's city, there's only one default, and that is king. There is a king coming. But he's not just going to be a king. It says he's going to be a savior. He will save his people. He will rescue them from the predicament they find themselves in. He will be the one who gets them out of trouble, out of danger. So a king is coming who's going to save them. And he's also referred to as Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one. This is the one who spoke of through Old Testament prophecy. This is the great one that Israel had their hope on. He's coming. He's coming. And the angel is there to announce that. And he would be Lord Christ the Lord, which means he would have all sovereign authority and power. So the angel has come to give this incredible message about the arrival of this person who has been born today. And he's saying, it isn't just any old baby. We've had plenty of babies born in real life church, and we love them, and we are excited for more. But we don't have quite this fanfare every time one is born. We don't proclaim, the Savior has arrived He is Christ the Lord. No, but this child who was born all those years ago is the one the angel is appointing to. And he says, to prove it, to back up what I'm going to say, you will have a sign. Well, what's the sign? Well, if you go into town, you're going to find a baby who's just been born, and they're going to be wrapped in cloth and laid in a manger. That's pretty unusual. Why would a baby be laid in a feeding trough of an animal Why is the baby in where the animal is in the first place? That's just ridiculous. You wouldn't have a baby there unless you had no other choice. And so there is a sign for them that's pretty specific. So don't just believe my words. You can go and check it out for yourself in what's happening. And so the second thing we find from this passage is that angels bring God's word. Angels bring God's word. And we found, if you read the Christmas story... We encourage you this time of year to go back, revisit it. We've recommended some books you can look at. Go read the gospel accounts in Matthew and in Luke. And you find that actually angels appear a lot in the story. They appear right beginning to Zechariah in Luke 1, where an angel appeared to Zechariah telling him and his wife Elizabeth that they would have a child of their own, a miraculous child, because Elizabeth and Zechariah were old. They couldn't have kids. Elizabeth was barren and they would have a child. They were to call him John and he would be the forerunner to the Christ, forerunner to the Messiah. He would be that one. And so the angel had come there. We then find that the angel comes to Mary and says, actually, you're going to have a baby. You're going to get pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. It will be a virgin birth. That's what you're going to happen. And then we have the angel comes to Joseph, her betrothed, who's thinking, she's pregnant, wasn't me, something's fishy here. And so I'm just going to quietly, you know, exit stage right. But the angel comes and says, no, what's happening is of God. You You are to marry her, take her, and raise this child as your own. Because the child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Later we find the angel come to Joseph to warn him of the plot by Herod to murder the children of Bethlehem. And he says, go, flee, go down into Egypt, take the child with you. And so angels have been all over bringing God's word um, to his people. 
We, if we go back into the Old Testament, we find it um, again. We find in Genesis 16 when an angel came to Hagar, who was out in the wilderness after she'd been banished from the camp by Sarah and basically was going out to die. And the angel came to uh, give God's word to her, to tell her to return um, and have her child by Abraham. We find in Judges 6, an angel turned up to Gideon while he's hiding. And what does he say? He says, Hail, mighty warrior. Gideon was nothing but a, anything but a mighty warrior at that point. But God spoke to him, and then you know the rest of the story. You can read it in the book of Judges. We find in 2 Kings 19 where angels turn up, and actually they bring words of judgment to the kingdom of Assyria and wipe out their army overnight. Horrific action there, but we see God's judgment on that uh, pagan nation. And then we find in Matthew 28, you go to the end of the gospel, I'd love to have been this angel. They get to be the best news of all, and that is when the ladies come to the tomb on the Sunday morning. What does the angel say? He's not here. He's risen. He is alive. And they come and bring God's word to God's people. So angels do not speak for themselves. They speak what God has given them. They are messengers and they just transmit that word, which means that what they're saying to these shepherds carries incredible weight. It's the word of God being proclaimed. It's the word of God to the shepherds. And if you read on the passage, they respond appropriately. Let's go back and see the last section. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he's pleased. So this angel is not alone. Can you imagine the fear level ratcheting up? So the angels appeared. Ah! Oh, we've got good news. Okay. There's a baby. Do we need to go and find the baby? Suddenly, there's a multitude. We don't know how many that is, but can I speculate? Lots and lots and lots. So now the whole sky is lit up with these angelic creatures. They're, they're everywhere. I can imagine fear. It goes up, down, and then up. I mean, if any of them were of a weak heart disposition, it could have been messy for them. But now the whole place is lit up with the presence of God. And what a sight it must have been. I can't imagine those shepherds would have ever forgot that. I can imagine they would have dined out on that story for years to come. Let me tell you that time when we were out on the hills and the angelic host appeared. And what do they say, these bunch of angels? They don't just come and stand there and look pretty. It says they are singing, they are shouting, they are proclaiming. They say glory to God in the highest. They are giving praise and honor to God. And the highest refers to the, the, the utmost. How We're going to give him the biggest, highest praise we can. You can't get any better. The highest height. We're going to fill everything with his praise. The highest point. So they are praising God. Whether they were singing or shouting Instance, we don't know, but there was a proclamation of praise to God at that point. They say, glory to God in the highest, and they say, on earth, peace, peace. So this, the reference here, peace is, uh, the word is used for an ending to enmity, warfare, and strife. And so they're saying there is a peace that is coming to earth, which means hostilities are going to cease, And what is the greatest hostility that's ever been between God and sinful mankind? There's now going to be peace. What was in the garden 
that we see in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is going to be restored. What was there, what was broken by man's rebellion, what has caused enmity and strife, and God has been enacting a plan of reconciliation throughout the entire Old Testament, is now coming to fruition at the dawning of the New Testament. So peace is going to come between God and man. It says, among those whom he is pleased, those whose his gracious kindness has rested on, which is mankind. God loves us. He's for us. He wanted relationship with us. He wanted it in the beginning. He still wants it for eternity. And as a result, he sent himself, his son, in our place to die. And as a result, there will be peace between God and man. The greatest human problem is our separation from God and our sin, our rebellion, our desire to do things our own way. And Jesus' coming heralds the moment when that problem will be dealt with. You go back into the Old Testament and you have the sacrificial system with the tabernacle and the temple and and, and the bull and goats and sheep having to die and be sacrificed. That would never, ever do it ultimately. That's why it had to keep being repeated. It had to keep being repeated. And the prophet said, one day one will come who will deal with that totally. And the angel is saying, that person has arrived. The, The final, ultimate, complete sacrifice is being born as a baby in the town just down the road. And he's saying, peace has come to mankind. And so let's look at the final thing about angels. And that is that they continually worship. They continually worship. Where we see angels throughout scripture, the big themes, what they're doing is they're worshiping and praising God. They praise him day and night. And the reality is all creation worships. We all worship. We worship. We deem things worthy of honor and glory, and we sacrifice our time and our energy and our money to bring that glory. And it can be anything. It can be a sports team. It can be your work. It can be your family. It can be money. It can be sex. It can be power. It can be a political cause. It can be anything. We are all designed to worship. But angels have decided what the highest and greatest thing worthy of honor is, and that is God alone. And so they give praise and honor and glory to God. And we see it there in the multitude. These shepherds had a peek into heaven and saw what it was like. We get peaks too when we read some of our scriptures. We find the one in Isaiah 6, which I've uh, referenced briefly earlier. Let me just read it to you now. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his road filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Go to the end of the book, Revelation. The Apostle John says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. Amen. The angels worship continually. All right, what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this 
light breaking into the darkness of these shepherds. Well, there's two angles. First of all, I want to just have a quick look at the shepherds and then have a quick look at the angels and see what we can look at. The first one, the shepherds. The shepherds were minding their own business, getting on with life, getting on with work, getting on with the grind of what's going on. But then something broke in and gave them a message and said, a child has been born and it's not just any kid and it's down the road and if you want to go and look, this is what you need to look for. And I want to stand here today and say, what are you going to do with this message? A message has gone forth this morning. A message to you about a king who's been born in a town. And that king is Christ the Lord. And I'm going to challenge you, what are you going to do with that? Because the shepherds had a choice. Because if you read on with the passage, it says that the angels went and there would have been a moment. What do we do, guys? Did that just happen? They probably nudge each other. Did anyone else see that? What are we going to do? We know from the story the shepherds got up, they responded to the message. And so I challenge you here today, if you're not a believer here, you're not a Christian, you're not a church goer, you've just heard the message. I'm not as spectacular as an angel, let's be honest. But I've given you the same message. I've given you the same message. There's a child who's been born who is Christ the Lord. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's through him, you can only through him can you have peace with God. What are you going to do with that? You need to respond to that. You need to make a choice. And even making no choice is a choice. You're going to make a choice this morning. And you're either going to walk out here and pretend like it didn't happen, or you're going to respond and put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you want to do that, I'd love to talk to you about that. If you're a Christian here today, what are you going to do today and respond to this message? What are you going to do? Because he is Christ the Lord. How is that going to affect your life now, today? How are you going to take that truth with you from this place? In a moment, we're going to sing and praise God. Are you going to join with the heavenly host in doing that? Now, because it's a choice we have to make. We have to make this choice daily to respond to what God is calling us to do. What about those angels? Those angels are creatures of light, but they point to the light, which is Jesus. And like him, we too are called to do that. Jesus even said that. He says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He said, you're going to go and point to the light as well. You take the light, me, to the place you go, and you point to me in what you're doing. And so I want to challenge you in line with what the angels were about. Because we have God's presence with us. We have God's presence with us. As a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you've been born again by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who is God himself, one of the Trinity. He dwells in you. God himself dwells in you by his Spirit. God's presence goes with you wherever you go. As we gather together as a church As a living temple, living stones, this is where God's presence dwells amongst us. We don't have to go to a place, into a special building, and do a special ritual. We just gather together as God's people, and He is presence amongst us. And as we leave this place and go and spend most of our week outside this building, in homes and schools and workplaces and friendship circles, you take the presence of God with you wherever you go. Jesus has promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. So whatever you face, 
this afternoon, tomorrow morning, as the kind of the week begins proper, alarms go off and it's school runs and work commutes and all the like, are you focused on the fact that you take the presence of God? Do you know it's going with you? Have you been sent from God's presence? Do you take those moments in the morning to read your Bible, to pray, and, and remind yourself God is with me, is here to ask to be filled with the Spirit, and say, I'm going to go out into this world, and I'm going to take the presence of God with me wherever I go. I'm going to be mindful of it. I'm going to be aware of it, that when I go into work, when I go to school, when I go with the kids, whatever it is, God's presence is on me and with me, and I get to make a difference wherever I am. What about the second thing? We are to bring God's word, just like the angels. We are to bring God's word. We are to proclaim it. We have been given God's word in the scriptures, in the Bible. That's the full revelation of Christ. We've got it right there. We can take that. We can read that. We can understand that. And then from there, we can take that out and proclaim that to the world. We can live it out in our actions in our homes, in our workplace, how we treat people, how we don't treat people, how we talk to people, how we choose not to talk to people, how we live our life, we get to take it out. What we point to with our actions and our words says something. And Jesus gave us a very kind of clear commission to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, proclaiming that he is the risen Christ. It says, you teach them everything I've taught you, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is what our challenge is. And that's not just a Sunday morning challenge, because only one person gets to do this at a time. We only spend a couple of hours here. It's a weekday challenge that we get to spend out there in the world all day, every day, proclaiming the good news to those around us. Proclaiming that there's only one way to live free from guilt and shame and fear. And that's in Jesus Christ, because he's the only one who can reconcile us to God, can deal with our ultimate problem of our rebellion against him. And we are to speak this, just like the angel did, to come and proclaim this message. So as we go out this week, we proclaim that a child has been born in the city of David, and he is a savior, Christ the Lord, and he can transform your life. And so my challenge to you this week is, are you going to bring God's word? wherever you go are you going to go out the world with God's presence with you and with a focus to saying actually whatever I'm doing whatever work I've got whatever my job is whatever I fill it with that activity as part of that I'm going to be proclaiming God's word and living it out and loving those around me and showing grace and kindness and mercy and pointing always to Jesus through my actions and the last one like the angels are we going to continually worship Are we going to be people who continually worship? Ultimately, all we do is for the glory of God, not just here on a Sunday morning, as great as that can be. We are to work for the glory of God, whether that's a paid employment or a voluntary job. We're to be the best we can at that in praise and honor to God. The way we raise our children, the way we run our marriages and our homes, the way we conduct our relationships with family and friends and neighbors, are all expressions of our worship to God, as well as the more obvious singing and praising and praying and and bending time with him is worship too. And so my question there is, do you worship throughout the week? Or do you have a slot in your diary on Sunday 
that just says, you know, church or Sunday worship, some kind of old school names for it. That's where I fit my worship in. And when I've done it, I can tick it off the list. I don't have to think about Jesus for the rest of the week. Done it. Phew, glad job that singing's over. Or do we make a habit and a lifestyle of worship? In our life groups every week, we gather and we spend some time worshiping, praying, making sure that's in there. As we gather for prayer, we always begin with a bit of worship to put our eyes on Jesus before we roll into making requests of him and all that that is. But do you make a, a lifestyle of it out of the week? Reading your Bible, praying every morning, saying, actually, I'm going to get my focus on it. Do you make use of CDs and the like, music um, uh, that you can sing and worship to on your phone, in your ears, in your car, wherever it is, and making that part of your lifestyle? Because I tell you, that feeds the soul. It helps you get through. All right, we're going to stop there. Do you want to stand? Can the band come up? And I'm going to pray to finish. And we're going to... All the chocolates have gone from up here. (laughs) Man, you guys are quick. Look. Sorry, that was... I wasn't there. Okay, do you want to close your eyes? We have a moment now, and you've got a choice to make like those shepherds. Are you going to join with the heavenly host? Because they've already been going. They've been going for ages past, and we now have a moment to join with them and to sing and to praise and to proclaim God's praises. And we have a band who's going to lead us, and we're going to sing and show our worship to God. Are you going to do that right now? And I'm just going to pray, Holy Spirit of God, would you come upon us as a people? Lord God, and I want to thank you that you came. I want to thank you that light broke into the darkness. As the shepherds sat, just like we sat in our lives, getting on with it, kind of, you know, focused on our own things, you broke in. And you came and you proclaimed a message of hope and light to us. Lord Jesus, and I thank you for your grace on us that we could respond in faith. Like the shepherds, we got up, we went, we looked, we saw, we responded. We put our faith and trust in you, and we've chosen to follow you all the days of our life. Lord, I thank you for that message, Lord Jesus. And I pray, God, as a people, that as we go from this place, we would take your message of hope and life and reconciliation between man and God out into this world. Lord, I pray you'd fill us with your spirit now that we would be people of your presence. Not just as an abstract concept of, oh yeah, yeah, we know the Bible says, but actually as a present reality, that we know that you are with us wherever we go, whatever we're facing, good times, bad times, tough boss, annoying children, you know, those things, you're there with us, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you came as a baby. I thank you that you grew to a man and died on a cross. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you saved us. I thank you that you filled us with your spirit that you are with us wherever we go, Lord. And I, I ask you come now and you fill us that we may worship you now. That we may add our songs and our voice to the heavenly host, Lord, and just add to you, Lord. I pray you give us grace to praise you in the highest, praise you in the utmost, in all areas of our life, God. When there's areas of our life that we're not worshiping you, we're giving over to temptation and apathy and sin and just... Oh, all those things, God, forgive us. Cause us to come deeper into you. To put our eyes on you. To put our faith and trust in you. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. And God's people said,